At the beginning of the job interview process, you're just a piece of paper. Another resume submitted for the gig. You get piled up with the other papers and before you even know it, you've been placed into one of two piles, the no's or the yeses. This is the show all about getting you into the yes pile. Welcome to season two of the Yes Pile podcast. This is the show dedicated to helping you grow, stretch, and prepare to land where else in the Yes Pile of candidates for your dream job. I'm your host, Tessa Wolf. I'm an expert in career growth and goal setting, having coached hundreds of people across my career in corporate America, and now as a professional career coach. My goal for the show in season two is to share stories of amazing people in inspiring professions, to learn all about how they got to where they are today and the things they learned along the way, and to teach you that the path to what you think success looks like isn't always a straight line, and that's more than okay. Good morning. Happy Monday, my friends. This week's profile is a special one for me. It's with one of my near and dear childhood friends, Teresa Mosqueda. We spoke back in the fall, just 11 days ahead of the November election season, where she was running to renew her seat on the Seattle City Council. Teresa has been very progressive. She's been a loud voice in local politics, advocating for women, people of color, and working families for more than 750,000 Seattle residents for the past few years. And today, we talk about what inspired her to get into politics, the work she did along the way, the moments of self-doubt and imposter syndrome she experienced, and how she stays focused on the things that matter the most to her and doesn't get caught up in the political drama we all know exists. So regardless of your political position, hearing the why and how of someone who steps into the public eye to fight for what they believe is right is always an inspiring story. So if you're someone who craves radical change of any kind and you don't know where to begin, today's story is the story for you. Without further ado, here is Councilwoman Teresa Mosqueda. So I am super excited to welcome to the show my friend, Teresa Mosqueda. We have actually, I thought about this today. We've known each other for like 30 years. Oh yeah. Maybe a little bit longer. Maybe longer, which is crazy since we're only 25. Yeah. (laughs) Not aged at all. No, we both, we grew up in Washington state. And I have to say, I definitely didn't think growing up that I expected you to become such a force in politics and <laughs> civic change. But I should have totally known because you were born on the 4th of July. Fun fact. Literally right. born on the 4th of July. And now you, my friend, sit on the Seattle City Council and you are up for re-election, right? For your seat. With the big right. election coming up. And you're really busy right now. So thank you for making the time to chat with me today. And I think, you know... It's really cool for me to be able to share a little bit about you and your story with the people that listen to this podcast, because we lean into dreams and ambitions and really interesting jobs. And I think something for people to know is like, you said you wanted to run again. You took a leap the first time you ran, but you said you wanted to run again to really continue working on 
solutions to some of the crises in Seattle, right? Like homelessness, gun violence, systemic racism. And you currently chair the council's housing and budget committee. And you're the architect of the Jumpstart Seattle tax on large corporations. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, thank you. You also have been widely endorsed <laughs> by the unions, right? Every by a ton of small business owners and even Bernie Sanders, which is awesome. Really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything I'm forgetting in that grand introduction? Oh my goodness. Well, um, I'm just excited to be here, you know, from West coast to East coast. This is really an exciting opportunity to, uh, unite forces and to really be a community across the country to encourage people, especially women, especially in this time of, you know, the midst of COVID it's not even the recovery yet. Um, and in, you know, what's been known as the C session, like the impact on women, the she session, um, and how we can help support women and diverse careers and provide yes. motivation and encouragement. Like I'm all in on this. So thank you for having me. And that was a very nice introduction. I would love <laughs> you come everywhere with me. No, I, mean, I, I um, currently am a Seattle city council member and in about 11 days, hopefully we'll win re-election again. And we represent over 750,000 people out here. I'm one of two council members who represent the entire city. So I'm an at-large position wow. and, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, an incredible opportunity to bring in that labor perspective, the public health perspective that I worked in before getting elected to city council and to lead with, um, you know, unapologetically with commitments to working families and to center that on women and people of color and to put policies forward that have been long put on the back burner, like making sure that we're expanding leave opportunities, especially for women in this time, as we all know that women have been more impacted by having to stay home and take care of kiddos yeah. at higher rates than men during this recession. Um, and we've gotten national attention for some of the policies that we've passed, like Domestic Workers Bill of Rights, so that those who care for our elders and our kiddos have protections. We pass hotel worker protections because it's largely women and immigrants who are working in hotels. And we got national attention for helping to reduce their workload and guarantee access to healthcare. And then um, on progressive revenue, I don't know, we have a really bad name out here in Washington state for the worst state that has the most regressive tax system in the entire country. And so we're trying to right side up that upside down tax system by helping to make sure that the largest companies are paying a small amount back in so that we can have things like childcare and economic resilience and housing, housing, housing. So it's been exciting for years. And then hopefully, I'll be able to get back in and continue to tackle things like housing and homelessness issues. That's incredible. It's incredible work. And I love what you said about bringing your background forward in a new capacity because you represent the experience of so many people that you're now representing in your seat. So I'm curious, you know, maybe talk us through a little bit of your career background. I mean, what did you go to college for? What did you study in school? So um, I went to the University of Washington undergrad here in Seattle, Washington for um, international studies. And uh, I did that with like a commitment to looking at how we as a country have impacted other countries ability to provide things like childcare and healthcare and housing stability and the ways that 
national, international trade policies provide these conditionalities on, quote, developing countries like, hey, you want some assistance? Well, guess what? You're going to need to privatize your water system and privatize your education system and privatize um, the, the health systems. And that, to me, seemed hugely problematic. And obviously, I spent a lot of time in my undergrad focused on the ways in which the U.S. policies imposed in these other countries had led to greater privatization and povertization of, of those countries and dollarization of those countries, meaning that their dollar was worth less and less and the U.S. dollar became worth more and more. So those who had access to the U.S. dollar actually became wealthier individuals. And the income inequality that was created because of these international policies, I then realized actually we're feeling the effects of that here locally. The ways in which like our systems, our education system, our healthcare system, housing, how that has continually become less of a public good and more of a privatized commodity made me actually shift focus right after um, undergrad to focus on how we can improve healthcare for those who are here within our country. And so I worked at a place called CMAR, Community Health Centers, and it provided senior meals and assistance, health care access and um, health insurance, uh, social cohesion programs for seniors who had worked their entire lives here in this country, but had not ever received a dollar towards retirement because perhaps they were working undocumented or they didn't have enough money to put towards a savings account. Sure. Our systems were failing us, right? So immediately after undergrad working at CMAR for two years, I then got my master's in public administration at Evergreen State College where Tessa and I are from in Olympia. Yeah. <laughs> and um and really I saw how public policies, if we were able to pass public policies that really centered people's health and well-being, our entire population health could improve. So uh, I went from you know working in a clinic setting to then getting my master's and working at the Department of Health uh, the, for the state uh, on issues like safe routes to school, healthier um meals for kiddos in schools, then working at Children's Alliance, fighting for healthcare for all kids uh, after uh, we expanded Medicaid, regardless of documentation status and how that was the kernels to then what became the Affordable Care Act and the work that I hope to continue to expand for healthcare for everyone. And people ask a lot, like, how did you go from working in healthcare and fighting for health insurance to then working for the unions? Because after that, I worked for the Washington State Labor Council, AFL-CIO, representing about half a million workers, half a million workers here in Washington wow. state. And the answer I think is pretty simple, right? And I know you and I, like we read the headlines every day and we see that this is called strike Tober this month because <laughs> uh, of how many workers are going out on strike. And I think of the rights in a workplace as directly connected to your health. You cannot be healthy if you are living in poverty. You cannot be healthy if you're being oppressed in your workplace and you can't speak up about the conditions or, or the toxic uh, conditions and um, unsafe uh, environment that you're forced to work in. You can't be healthy if you can't take a day off when you're sick or when your family has a baby or you need to care for your elders. And so everything to me is connected back to being healthy. And that's what I see unions fighting for, that ability to have healthy um, families and healthy communities and good living wage jobs. And then you think about, well, then what's the nexus to running for office? Because every public policy goes back to that ability to create healthy families and individuals. So I've taken that commitment with me uh, when I decided, which was which was a path to get to a yes. But when I decided to finally run for office, that's why I do what I do, because I think it all connects back to health and population health. Listening to you talk about it, it truly does feel like an intuitive path, right? Like there's this common thread throughout your education and your career 
of a commitment to leaving the world a little better than you found it and fighting for those that maybe haven't been able to have a voice or a seat at the table. Was there something in your earlier years or your personal life experience that was the catalyst for you to just say, I, I'm not going to go be a writer or, or be a doctor. I am going to spend and invest my time fighting for others. Like what, what inspired you to pursue this? Because as we both know, a career and a life built around supporting communities and individuals can be very thankless. It takes so much of you. It's a really big personal commitment to make. And I, it's incredible to me. I'm so inspired by you. And so I want to ask you, what was your inspiration to starting on this journey and continuing to pursue it? Well, I'm inspired by you. So I'm really <laughs> excited to be here today with you and definitely inspired by all that you bring to community um, across the globe and uh, through the airways. So thank you for doing this work. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to share my story. It's not linear, right? It is yeah. very much not a linear process that got me here. And um, I think if anything, there was just core values that guided me along the way. Uh, for example, working at that clinic that I mentioned at CMAR Community Health Centers, it was because I saw every day how our systems had failed, especially our elders who had put their time and blood and sweat and tears into working in this country and not a dime had gone back to them for retirement security. That was wrong. I wanted to work in a system and run a program and serve those seniors so that they had a place to have a healthy meal, to have social cohesion, to have dance parties, to have the ability to get housing and uh, food security. That that is, I think, a remedy to pass policies that had failed. And then once you realize, okay, these are policies, we have entire systems that have left people completely without adequate housing, without retirement security, without the ability to get access to healthcare, let's fix those policies. So I think going upstream and continuing to follow those like gut values of needing equity and, and security and um, parity for people in this country is, is what I think drove me in my career. I suppose a lot of this really comes back to my parents, right? My parents were uh, not shy about their activism. My dad is a professor of po political economy and social change at Evergreen State College, uh, emeritus now. And my mom, she's done a lot of activism in her, in her work as well. Um, fighting for the rights uh, and and um, and health of of Palestinians and of folks in uh, El Salvador and Nicaragua, and I think just seeing them in my life really try to get at the root causes of why there are inequalities and and ills that plague our community. I saw how they got to those roots, and as my dad used to teach and can still teaches today, like getting to the root of the problem is is actual radical change. Like if we want to change the outcome for people, we have to get to that foundational um, public policy that's really causing inequity. So I think in some ways they like instilled it early, but it wasn't like one specific thing that did change um, my trajectory in terms of getting here. I never thought I was going to run for office. In fact, um, I think even working at the Washington State Labor Council, um, to me, seemed pretty intimidating at the time. Sure. I was... 20, let's see, 27. 
And I was working at the Children's Alliance and I was lobbying in the halls of our state capital for healthcare for kids, childcare for foster care for kids. And I loved my job. And I think the folks at the Washington State Labor Council, AFL-CIO, they saw in me somebody who was driven and committed and I think pretty dang good at what I was doing. (laughs) But maybe I didn't see it at that level at the time, right? They had asked me at age 27, will you come to the State Labor Council and will you be our um, government affairs um, uh, lobbyist? And I took a lot of time to think about it. And I thought to myself, I'm not ready. And I actually turned that position down. Wow. And we don't often get a chance uh, to come back and to have a second opportunity when opportunity knocks like that. And I said no the first time because I took myself out of the race. I didn't think I was ready. And when that position opened a year and a half later, there were some shifts and, um, and, and a position opened up again they came back to me and I said, yes, because I had regretted that decision so much, but it is interesting, right? When you think about the, um, the, the self-criticism sometimes that we can have or the imposter syndrome that so many of us face, that's a real explicit example of where I took myself out and had the opportunity to come back and get that job again, which led to everything, right? Which led to me then running a program um, while lobbying at the Washington State Labor Council for almost about eight years and fighting for things like minimum wage and sick leave and leading the campaign at the state level that won an increase in our sick leave, uh, excuse me, increase in our minimum wage and then guaranteed sick leave for everyone. Like we did some great things, but I also at the same time ran a program called Path to Power to encourage people to run for office, to see themselves in position of authority so that we could finally have people that were in office that didn't tell me when I was lobbying. Good idea. Thanks so much. But I think we've done too much for workers this year. Come back next year. So we were really trying to change what representative democracy looked like. And, um, and I'm really glad that I got that second opportunity because it led to me being able to finally see myself also as running for office one day. There's so much goodness to unpack in what you just shared with us, (laughs) because I think, first of all, there is a common thread, particularly when you're growing in your career of not seeing yourself at your full potential and at the full value that you bring into the room. And I tell a lot of people, you said the exact words I use, like, don't count yourself out. And when you surround yourself with trusted individuals at the peer level, at the mentor level, truly people that inspire you, listen to them when they talk to you because they see you in a way you don't quite see yourself yet. And they're very accurate. And so you had people telling you, you are capable, but you weren't ready yet. And that's okay too. But I think the lesson here is don't let fear be your barrier. Lean into your power and your skill set and your community to chase your dreams. And I love what you said about you then turned around and extended your hand to others to say, you can do this too. And not only can you do it, we need you to do it. We need more voices in the room. And I just think that's incredible. That, that is, that is so true. And, you know, it really does take, I think, hearing it from a number of sources and a number of times. Um, specifically, we know the statistic for women who run for office. Right. And the stat is it takes us seven times to hear, hey, you should run for office. We think you'd be great. Have you ever thought about running for office? It takes seven times for women to hear that before we get to a yes, I'll consider it. Not yes, I'm going to do it, but yeah, maybe I should consider it. And guess how many times it takes men? 
Once. 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 (laughs) So, you know, hearing like that people see that in you that, and it doesn't have to be running for office, right? It could be the position that I mentioned before with a different organization. And maybe you just hadn't pictured yourself in that role, or maybe you think it's too big to take on. And, you know, I'm going to be real honest with people. One of the big reasons that I didn't take that job the first time around is because I Googled the name of the individual who had that job. And I saw how many times he was quoted in the newspaper. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, I can't do that. That can't be me. I can't be that spokesperson. And that was one of the reasons that I cut myself out. Now, every day, pretty much I'm quoted in the newspaper and hopefully it's for very good reasons. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that it's interesting to see how the evolution of of both your skills, but also your confidence changes over the years. And now I, you know, I don't get nervous talking to members of the press anymore. I still want to make sure that I'm I'm prepared and I want to remind myself that I'm qualified, Mm -hmm. but it is, it is an interesting, evolution when I think about how I I took myself out of the race that time. So continue to tell people, your friends, your peers, and yourself that you are ready and you are qualified and there is nobody better than you for these positions if this is what you want to do. I love it. And I also love what you said about, you know, there is no there is no blueprint for the path to success, however you define success. And the reason I wanted to lean into interviewing people in this season of the podcast is, I think there is a misconception that the pathway to a variety of jobs is very black and white and very linear. And you've proven to us that it doesn't have to be. And the thing that you've done that I constantly encourage clients and listeners to do as well is lean into your core values as a human, as an individual, as a person going through this journey on earth and lean into your passions and let that guide you. And that might mean that you, quote unquote, bounce around a little bit in your career, or your industry, your resume Not might not be you're at a company for 20 years and you continually get promoted like the resumes were 20, 30 years ago. That's okay. In order to truly harness what you're best at and what you're going to be most fulfilled in doing, you need to listen to that inner voice that says, Yes, when I wake up, I want to do this. When I talk to people, I'm most excited to talk about this. When I walk into the room, I am geeked to have a chat about X. And just listening to your instinct and honing your values, the things you won't negotiate on as you're looking for a career, and then also your, those passion points, like you will not be steered in a wrong direction. I firmly believe that. I absolutely agree with that. And um, and it's okay as well to pass on things that maybe you feel pressured to take if it's yes. not fitting with those core values, yes. right? That's something early in my career where I um, I just, I, I would um, stew on and really be troubled by saying no to something. And I had some great mentors along the way who said there are going to be so many opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, that if you stick to your core values, like you were saying, other things will come along. And they absolutely absolutely have. And I think that it is absolutely not black and white. Like you said, especially black and white, like letters on a black letters on a white piece of paper on your resume don't have to be in place for you to take that next leap. If something really is calling you, for example, like when folks think about running for office again, right? The state legislature, the youngest legislator who is still there, he got elected at age 24. He didn't have much on his resume besides interning at the state legislature before that. Um, And he's a 
fantastic champion for environmental justice issues. Um, and, and he didn't wait around for there to be, you know, five or six bullet points on his resume. He went for it. That's what he wanted to do. Um, you don't have to wait for your resume to build in order for you to get somewhere. If there's something that you're really interested in, I think it's, it's a go for it moment. And I, and you know, these, these statistics, I'm sure we talk about it a lot on, on uh, the podcast, but today compared to 20 years ago, right. I think it's a long time to stay in a position for three years sometimes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Being willing to kind of move around and get all that experience is a really good thing too. Yeah. And with that, Gentleman in mind who you just referenced, 24 years old. I mean, that's incredible. With Representative that in mind, Fitzgibbons, just giving him a shout out. Good. Definitely <laughs> do. I'm so curious, like from your perspective now, to anybody that might be listening that's inspired and thinking about a political journey or an activism journey, what are maybe three things that you think someone needs to possess in order to be successful in your industry with the full embrace? of, again, it doesn't have to be linear or a long tenure in anything, but what things do you think would position someone for success? Okay. I love this question. I think the first thing is recognizing that your lived experience already qualifies you for uh, representative democracy. We need more women specifically uh, to run for office, especially women of color, folks who are underrepresented from the LGBTQIA community, folks who have um, your lived experience right now are needed in office. We all applaud the more recent classes that have come to Congress, but we're still at about 20, 25% representation of women in Congress. That is not representative democracy. And even here in Seattle, we're, we've done, we're done, we've done better in the last few years, but a headline in Seattle from the Seattle times in 2012 said that the Washington state legislature was older, whiter, and richer than the general population. That was less than 10 years ago. So we still need folks to recognize that the experience, the qualifications, the life that you've had does already qualify you for being in office because that's what representative democracy is all about. The second thing I would say, and this is why we have classes like Path to Power through the AFL-CIO and Local Progress that runs some um, classes um, uh, well uh, Wellspring Institute has um, some uh, classes, excuse me, Wellstone has some classes as well. But the, the concept of honing in your story is so important because when you're out there talking to voters, they're not going to remember your five point plan. They're going to remember what you left them feeling with. Do you connect with people? Is this a story or a person that you'd like to hear more about? And that's a really hard thing to do to distill the why you want to run for office and what you want to do down to a 30 second or a three minute spiel because people really want to know who you are in that. And that does not include, I went to this school, my degree is in this, I worked here for four years. They really don't want to know that in 30 seconds or three minutes. So distilling your story is something that I would encourage folks to do. And there's a lot of um, great entities out there that can help train folks to do that. We talk and about I, that a lot on the podcast too. You? Know your story because you're going to be asked it a thousand times, a thousand times, and it should be muscle memory when somebody right. asks you. So I, I love that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, constantly um, evolving that story too, to, to remind yourself of like, 
why you actually do this. This is why this podcast is so important to really get to those core values inside. Um, It's not about a title. It's not about um, trying to climb that ladder at some point. I think there's a number of positions that I think you and I both have probably passed on that would have been bigger titles. Um, But it's really about staying true to those core values. And and that then I think is fulfilling in and of itself. And then lastly, I think um, really imagining the good work that you could do in in whatever position, but especially in uh, electoral politics, you know, it is frustrating sometimes to think about how slow things move if you're just looking at um, Congress, for example, that's stymied right now on what should be passing the Build Back Better Act. We need to pass it yesterday. Um, but if you look at what can happen at the local level, both at state legislatures and in city and county councils, we've been able to move really monumental pieces of legislation in very short periods of time. And when I talk about monumental, I'm talking about like sick leave protections, the first in the nation passed here in Seattle, then ripples across this country. We're passing things like Domestic Workers Bill of Rights and and protections for gig drivers like Lyft and Uber drivers, first in the nation, and we're constantly being looked at. So what you do at the local level also can have national impacts. And just, I think uh, if that's what excites you, there's a lot of positions out there and we need you. I love that. I love that. I think it's incredible advice. And I think you know, you just this conversation today is going to help somebody see a pathway forward to creating and being a leader for the change that they desire today. And I think that's incredible. I want to ask you two quick questions as I'm we ready. Kind of wrap up today. All right. So as you think about the rest of your career ahead and everything you've been able to accomplish today and your goals as you secure that second term, because we know it's going to happen. What does success mean to you? How do you define success right now? Oh, um, so I think there's one thing that's really big in defining success for me in this moment. And that is a quality time with our kiddo. As, as you know, she's two years old. And so trying to find the right balance and the right role to really make sure that um, we're able to spend that quality time is something um, I am prioritizing. I think in some ways, you know, the, the hardship of the pandemic and with so many lives lost and livelihoods lost, um, it has been an opportunity for us to recenter ourselves on, on what we want to do and how, when we emerge from this pandemic, how we want to conduct ourselves in the in the new normal and i want to make sure that there's still time for the quality time that we've been able to enjoy in some of the work from home aspects um, i think the other thing is really making sure that um we're we're delivering on important things right i mean there is no time to sort of take it slowly like incremental <laughs> approach is not going to be satisfactory to me. So I think that's probably why I was so aggressive in my first term in passing things. But I think it's also because there's so much need, right? If people do decide to go into public policy or any other aspect of um, of, of work life, you know, wanting to be uh, aggressive in what we want to accomplish, I think should be seen as a good thing. And shaking up the status quo is a good thing because a lot of times the reason that we're here now debating whether or not childcare is a a core public service that should be offered to everyone. It's because that issue has been constantly backburned. Why we're here talking about, you know, Lyft and Uber drivers and um, domestic workers who are more likely to be people of color, more likely to be African-American 
or um, immigrants and refugees, it's because those folks haven't been included in labor protection laws from the federal to the local level. And we need people who are going to shake up that status quo. And I think now's the time to do it, especially since um, we have a reset button in the wake of COVID. I think yeah. let's, let's be aggressive about what we want to accomplish. I love that. And you actually inadvertently answered my second question, which was on the balance piece, because as women and as mothers, prioritizing career and motherhood with equal measure is really challenging. That is not, I mean, there's just no way around it. And I think I love to hear you talk about that being a priority for you as you think about what success looks like, because you can do both. And it's a balancing act. And there's no such thing as perfect balance, right? I think we can agree on that. You're going to have seasons where you really lean into career and seasons where you really lean into family. And that's okay. That's absolutely, absolutely. okay. Yeah. Makes us, makes us better when we it send does. our ourselves. And yeah. what an incredible role model it makes you for your children. So I love that. Um, Teresa, you are such a delight and such an inspiration. Thank you for sharing your ambitions and your successes in your journey to today with us and with all of the listeners. And I can't wait to see what happens on November 2nd. We're rooting Thank for you. Thank you. <laughs> I so appreciate it. It's really great to see you. Thank you so much for having me on. It is an honor. Wow. So inspiring. What I love most about this interview with Teresa is this. She really, truly cares about people. And I think we'd all say that we do too, right? But the difference between Teresa and someone like me is she was willing to put herself on the line, open to criticism, debate, open to public scorn at times, taking big leaps, even if she didn't fully know she was ready in that moment. What she did know was this. She was willing to fight. She was willing to take on thankless positions. She was willing to roll up her sleeves and do the work. Having hard talks, doing hard things that she knew were right at the end of the day. Because she was committed to working on this idea of public health and safety. From working in the healthcare sector to working with the unions, and now as a Seattle City Councilwoman, yep, she remained in her seat after the election. Teresa champions an idea that I believe in through and through. The path to success is simply not linear. If you ground your work and your career around your personal core values, and if you make the time to really identify what those are, and then only take on opportunities that align with what you believe in and do the work that calls to you, never letting go of the core values that speak to your heart. You won't fail. It won't matter if it's linear or what your job title was or honestly, even what your education looks like. If you continue to do work you are proud of, you will continue to grow and evolve and opportunities will come your way because people Know what you do and what you believe in. You will find fulfillment. And I really believe you will also find success. If what we define success as is work that makes an impact and allows you 
to be personally fulfilled, which sounds pretty good to me. Oh, and ladies, if you're asking yourself about getting into politics, the answer is yes. You heard it from Teresa. The world of politics and your community needs you now more than ever. So if you want to learn more about how the councilwoman is doing, you can follow her on social, of course. She's on Instagram and Twitter. Her handle is CMT Mosqueda, and her last name is spelled M-O-S-Q-U-E-D-A. Next week, we are back with another very special interview. I will be sitting down to talk with an internationally acclaimed musician, singer, songwriter, and producer, someone who has outperformed Beyonce on the charts in parts of Asia, someone who has toured across the U.S. and abroad, spoken at music conferences, had songs in more than 50 TV shows just over the past year. Yet, there's a chance you maybe haven't ever heard of him until now. Next week, we sit down with my favorite musician and my husband, Jim Wolf, to talk about life as a professional musician and balancing international notoriety with the pretty normal everyday life here at home. I can't wait to give you a very special sneak peek into our personal lives and share his incredible story. Thanks for tuning back in for a whole new season of the Yes Pile podcast. If today was at all inspiring or helpful for you, please let me know. I'm reading your feedback on Instagram, so follow us along at the Yes Pile podcast or email me directly anytime. Connect at tessawolf.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. 